Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, Head of Non-Dollar Rate Strategy, and I'm joined today by our Global Market Specialists, Dan Navruzzi and Joanne Spadigan. Um, a super busy week this week, but perhaps the Fed was one of the main events um, that we were looking forward to when we discussed last week. Uh, so let's start there. Jan, what were your key takeaways from yesterday's Fed meeting? Uh, so let's just break down the meeting on like decision, the press statement and the Q&A. Uh, the decision and the press statement released at two o'clock were uh, a little bit, I would say, uh, a little bit more hawkish compared to expectations. Uh, the rates were left unchanged at five and a quarter to five and a half percent. So that was widely expected. But uh, I guess that what the statement didn't do is it didn't fuel this kind of expectations that the Fed, Fed might go even faster, right? So the tightening bias was definitely removed and it, it was switched into a more neutral uh, language. So previously, any, you know, the committee would have uh, considered any further tightening. That language is gone and now has been converted into something along the lines of uh, in considering any further, any adjustments to the interest rates. So uh, implying neutrality. Uh, they also added uh, a sentence saying that in considering when the interest, uh, when the committee, or at least the committee does not expect to start reducing interest rates until they have gained greater confidence that uh, inflation is moving sustainably to, to the 2% uh, inflation target. Uh, perhaps there was a little bit of a desire to push back against the, the against market pricing. At least that was the kind of like the initial takeaway from the statement at 2 p.m. However, the Q&A, Q&A itself was, a, at the press conference, the Q&A itself was a bit of a whirlwind. Uh, it rocked markets from, you know, in, in both directions because when we started off from the get-go, there was a question of, all right, well, what is the criteria that you want to see what are the criteria that you're looking for before you start actually adjusting rates lower? And I think Powell made something uh, very uh, kind of like he made a, he made an interesting clarification that they're not looking for data to get better from here. They're looking more of this good data going forward. So we don't we shouldn't be you know we shouldn't be looking for data to improve even further for the Fed to start cutting rates. Rather, get a couple more of the confirmations such as the ones that we already had. But as we get closer towards the end, however, a question was asked, which was surprising that it took almost half hour for that question to be asked of whether uh, the Fed could consider cutting interest rates in March. And Powell almost shot that down. You know, he, he closed, he didn't fully close that door, but he certainly narrowed it substantially by saying that's not his base case. He doesn't think that, the you know, by the time we get to the March meeting, the data will have changed in a way to justify a cut. So that's not his opinion. Of course, it wasn't like a, Open and, uh, open and shut type of case. He said that that's not the base case, but of course, there's a room for data to decelerate substantially, such as the, you know, like the non-farm payrolls that will come out tomorrow. Of course, listeners will have the advantage of knowing the information. I don't at this time, but <laughs> when, when they come out and if they're super weak, I think uh, I think March is definitely in play. That's not our base case. We expect, uh, we still expect May as the first, uh, first cut, but I think, you know, it, uh, about a third to twenty-five percent chance for March doesn't sound doesn't sound outrageous to me. And and finally, on quantitative tightening, are uh, or when they would stop quantitative tightening, that question was also asked. And I want to say, it, it, so far, what we've heard is consistent with our timeline. Uh, we expected them to have a brief kind of like mention of QT at this meeting. Powell said they did, and and they expect they're planning on having. Um, 
further discussions at the next meeting. I imagine that means that uh, they will lay out kind of like the technical indicators that they're watching that we've discussed before. Uh, they're going to point out you know, a couple of thresholds maybe that they want to keep an eye on, stuff like that. And uh, just for reference, you know, we expect in May kind of hint at a, a, a taper to come and in June for them to actually announce a, a slowdown in the balance sheet normalization process, whether that's going to be actually uh, bringing QT to zero on a monthly basis or whether that's going to be just decelerating the pace is yet to be determined. We think they will actually halt the program, but uh, you know, it's not like a, it, we could also see that kind of go into like a half pace or something like that. But certainly we think by mid this year, we're going to see a change in the parameters of the program. You touched on it a little bit when you talked about market pricing of a potential cut in March, but how did this week's meeting and, and the press conference and the subsequent move in markets kind of change your view, I guess, on rates um, or, or well, near term or, or further up the curve? You know, what we differ mainly from the market is uh, in the pace of, of cuts. We not only expect them to start in May, which is not that different from market, but we expect the Fed to reach its kind of end goal much faster than where the market see. So we don't disagree with what, what is priced there right now in the curve as far as the ultimate end point. The current interest rate markets sh uh, imply about three and three-eighths. Uh, we see between three and three and quarters. So it's it's close enough to not you know have uh, high conviction that it must go another 10 base points, 20 base points lower. What we think will be different is that the Fed will get to the end goal much faster. So that would imply that stuff within one year uh, one year period looks, you know, looks attractive from from that perspective, and we think once kind of like unemployment starts showing its uh, rearing its head a little bit more, uh, the Fed will be actually much swifter and kind of normalize rates. That doesn't mean again, that doesn't mean that they go to zero, but three percent is is the accurate number. What I think is a is an interesting risk factor is well, what if the Fed applies a, a kind of like a 2018 style insurance cuts type of approach to to lowering rates. In fact, what if un unemployment stays pretty low and inflation comes down to target and we and they decide to cut rates, but only by like 100, 120 basis points. And at that point, I think uh, what, what you would see is the front end perhaps doing pretty well because those cuts will come fast, but then everything else kind of steepening and selling off because the market has to adjust to the to the idea that the terminal rate is not going to be three and three eighths, rather than something like 4%, so 75, 80 basis points higher. Uh, so that would be an interesting dynamic to see, and you know we we have to see how the the that over the next couple of weeks can evolve. But uh, you know, rates wise, we still think there's uh, the one year stuff is attractive. Uh, we think further out the curve, so kind of like tens and thirties are uh, not what we want to have our longs on. In fact, don't really have too much. Like I pointed out last week, too too much sympathy with tens around hovering around four percent. I guess away from the Fed, the other key event in the calendar this week for the U.S. was the refunding announcement. Um, what's your take on on all of that? For one, uh, the, we got another round of coupon increases, and that was consistent with what we were looking for uh, going to the announcement. Uh, it was similar. The, the sizes of the increases were the same exact ones as November. That was also what we expected. Uh, it's a applicable with Treasury's kind of regular predictable approach to uh, funding itself, and also that type of debt, uh, you know, incremental increase in the in the debt issuance did fit. You know, the financing estimates that we got from them also fits with, uh, you know, when we model out uh, 
financing needs on a daily basis, uh, you know, we can use that type of uh, uh, that type of supply to plug in the, the kind of funding gap uh, from our side as well. So it was pretty consistent, uh, consistent with the messaging. That's one. Uh, uh, number two is that the forward guidance in the policy statement indicates that this will be the final set of increases for now. Uh, we also thought that would be the case, and they had kind of alluded to that November refunding as well. So next quarter, we're just not going to see another uh, set of increases. Uh, and if there is a, a jump in funding needs, those would come through uh, more more bill issuance and vice versa. If their funding needs are lower than what they expect, it would also come from uh, drop in bills. They're kind of the shock absorber of Treasury. And finally, uh, the, the, the issue of buybacks, as a reminder, Treasury will implement the program of buying back debt uh, for two purposes, liquidity management. So they will buy off the run securities and, you know, with the exclusion of certain securities, uh, treasuries that are not the most recently issued ones uh, to provide kind of liquidity support. And they will also buy, uh, they'll have another buyback program called the cash management program to smooth out the maturity curve. That's similar to some European uh, sovereigns. They, they also tend to do that, right? Like you would just buy, let's say May, August, November, like these refunding months tend to have larger amounts of uh, maturing uh bonds and notes so what they can instead do is okay we have a tax season in april you have a lot of uh, tax revenues coming in instead of playing around with the size and bill auctions you can just take that money and buy back some of the debt make a you know lower the volatility in the monthly uh debt cash flows so uh, that announcement was delayed by another quarter the buyback announcement but we're going to get the full details on the timing on may 1st with the next refunding presumably they will lay out a schedule for buybacks just like uh, you know, the, uh, just like quantitative easing, when, when they're uh, on a monthly basis, they would publish like the, uh, what they're planning on buying on each week and, and, and the buckets involved. So uh, we're getting details on that in, uh, in three months. But uh, I guess markets, maybe that was the reason. Maybe there are some other reasons going on at the same time with the, like the banking community. Uh, but I think markets expected a little bit more from, uh, uh, from Treasury and kind of swap spreads underperformed and when i say that treasuries underperform against swaps so maybe expectations of buyback starting faster maybe even lower funding estimates uh maybe like i said there's like a risk-off move happening almost simultaneously so hard to disentangle but uh that's it from the u.s for this week and uh, i'm a little bit stuffy i'm sure here uh, if listeners <laughs> can uh hear my voice change a little bit but i'll shift to the uk now and uh give myself a little bit of a break here uh, as i pass the baton to you and we could because we also had the boe uh, where they finally, I guess, broke their silence and, and updated their guidance on, uh, you know, on, on kind of like, and, and I guess they, up, they updated guidance on a lot of things, but, you know, there was like an interesting split in the vote there. If you can give us our, your main takeaways. Yeah, sure. I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were so ill. Otherwise, I wouldn't have made you go first and ramble on about the Fed for a while. Um, but hopefully you won't have to talk too much more. Um, yeah. So... You know, listeners who who listened to the pod last week will know that we were at the hawkish end of expectations for the Bank of England today. Um, We expected a hawkish vote, so still some votes for hikes, which materialised in the end. Um, We expected some hawkish revisions to the forecasts. Um, 
what we didn't expect, which was what was delivered, although we said there was risks of this, was a dovish shift in the bias um, in the forward guidance. So they previously had this language around, you know, very similarly to what you were just talking about with the Fed, Jan, they previously had this language that was clearly biased towards further hikes. They said, you know, if we see evidence of more persistent inflationary pressures, then we will need to deliver further tightening. Um, and they removed that and just have now this more balanced statement about, you know, being prepared to do what what is needed to to return inflation back to target um and the forecast revision themselves although in the near term they still see inflation above um the two percent target at the very end of the projection horizon um they do have or the mpc does have inflation coming down just below two percent um so it was those two things that i think the market kind of took it's dovish cue from. Um, but there are a couple of things to me that I think I would just highlight, which is why I don't think it was as dovish as perhaps some of the commentary out there might have you believe, or even what looking at the market reaction might have you believe. Um, first of all, Although the forecast did show inflation coming down below 2% at the end of the projection horizon, so at the three-year point, and they have this um, kind of sharp dip down in the very near term, so it touches the 2% target in the near term before rebounding. Um, Governor Bailey, you know, many times in the press conference highlighted the fact that actually inflation remains well above the 2% target for the majority of the forecast horizon. And of course, those forecasts are conditioned on market expectations for bank rate. Um, and at the time that the MPC took the cut for their forecast, that was, you know, they're kind of implying around 100 basis points of easing um, would give you inflation just below the target at the two at the three year horizon, sorry, but for much of the period between now and then will average above the target. So, you know, my take of that is that implicitly the MPC is telling you that at this point, they think 100 basis points is really the kind of upper bound of the scope of easing that they will be delivering this year. Um, secondly, although the bias is now no longer skewed towards higher rates, you know, they introduce this more balanced statement around just doing what is needed to bring inflation back to target. Um, I think there are two points. Firstly, very similarly to what you said on um, uh, with Chair Powell at the Fed, Jan, you know, Governor Bailey was very clear not to kind of talk about the fact that cuts would be the next move I think he was asked many times you know you've changed the bias in the statement when when does that mean that you are cutting um, and instead he shifted the focus of the conversation around yes we've removed the upward bias but now the discussion is very much around how long rates need to remain at this level we're still in this table mountain type um, narrative for the BOE, and they're not yet at the point at which they're discussing cuts, which I think is very evident in the vote. You know, there's still two members voting for hikes. Um, and even if um, Dingra voted for a cut, I think markets can largely kind of ignore or don't place so much weight on the fact that, that she continues to be a dovish outlier. Um, that's not all that surprising given her voting track record. Um, for me, you know, the tone at the press conference was very much about being data dependent. But in the same way that we've heard from the ECB and the Fed recently, it's very much about seeing more evidence in the data that inflation is kind of converging sustainably to that 2% target. 
which in my mind, and just kind of steal one of Lagarde's phrases, but flip it on flip it on its head a little bit, does make them date dependent as much as it makes them data dependent. Because if they're waiting for, you know, the wage inflation data from January and from April, they won't have that before the May meeting. And so to be able to be confident and see evidence in the data that inflation is converging, converging back to target, they are as much date dependent as, as they are data dependent. So I think there was a clear pushback on timing of early rate cuts as well through the language in the press conference. And and just finally, you know, when thinking about when the balance on the on the um, council might switch in favour of rate cuts rather than currently to keep rates on hold, um, I think it was worth taking note of the comments from both Broadbent and Ramsden in the press conference, both of which I think were had quite hawkish tones around them. You know, Broadbent was quite clear that he felt like the argument that they needed to cut rates because monetary policy was getting more restrictive as headline inflation came off um, was just wrong, essentially. And he talked about the fact that the easing currently being priced into the market at the two-year point of the curve reinforces the need for the Bank of England to keep rates on hold now. Um, Whereas Ramsden referenced a couple of times the kind of persistently high service price inflation, the fact that that was still north of 6% um, and not really trending down. Uh, But also he quite clearly highlighted the difference between service price inflation in the UK and what we're seeing in the euro area and the US, where it's, you know, a good two percentage points below um, the levels here, which, you know, implicitly, again, he's saying just because the Fed are cutting or the ECB might be cutting doesn't mean that, that we have to as well. And there's not all that much difference in terms of what the market is pricing and of their reaction functions. And I think Ransdom was giving a bit of a green light there to actually, it could be quite different reaction functions. So, um I think that if you looked at the market reaction into and out of the meeting, you would think it was much more dovish than than um, than it actually was in in my view. And how does that uh, change your market views, if at all? Yeah, so you know, we went into this meeting and we felt like there was a really high bar for the Bank of England to outdove the market, which, as I've said, I just I don't think they at all endorse this kind of market pricing um, yet. We have seen, well, the knee-jerk reaction was maybe a little bit hawkish, but that was faded pretty quickly. And then the decision-maker panel survey, which showed inflation expectations falling in the one year ahead uh, part of the survey, then fueled a kind of another um, rally in, in UK rates. So um, for me, my market views are unchanged. I'm kind of happy to take the other side of the market here that thinks that this was a, a dovish meeting. I, I don't think it was that dovish at all. You know, I think they were endorsing around about 100 basis points of cuts, as I've said, as the kind of upper bound for cuts this year. And I think they were pushing back quite heavily on on market pricing of early cuts. You know, if they're not even discussing it now, really, and they need to see the early kind of Q1 wage data, um, that cuts discussion won't won't come for a while. So um, I'm still happy with, you know, the same kind of market views that we had previously, fading that that early cut pricing. I guess that's the difference between our US view and our UK view is that actually in the UK, the scope of pricing being, you know, uh, the scope of easing being priced into markets this year isn't that different to our central scenario. It's more about the timing of that easing. And so, you know, 15 basis points of cuts being priced in, um, 
uh, by the, the next couple of meetings, I, I think just feels a, a little bit too aggressive. Um, and the other thing that I think is is somewhat surprising is the outperformance of gilts on a cross market basis. You know, I think that there's good reason to think that the BOE could be the last to cut rates. I think that they could um, be on hold for much longer than the ECB and the Fed. Um, I think they have a, a stickier and perhaps more troubling inflation outlook. Like I've mentioned, service price inflation is, is still much higher and, and persistent persistently at those higher levels. Um, we're probably talking about a little bit more fiscal easing, which brings upside risks on the supply side. We've got different but probably bigger structural shifts on the demand side as well. And all of those things, I think, combine ultimately to drive kind of cross-market um, underperformance of gilts. Um, and perhaps there's, there's most value there in being, you know, seeing more underperformance versus euro area and versus bunds um, versus treasuries. But I think I would, again, fade today's kind of cross-market outperformance. I don't think that fits with the message that, that we've heard from the BOE or the fundamental backdrop um, in the UK. Um, but of course, it wasn't just about the Fed or the EC or the BOE this week. Um, like I said at the beginning, it was a very busy week. We also had uh, euro area inflation. That was kind of key data print on the euro area side. Um, Joanne, what did we learn from that this week, do you think? So the euro area inflation print for this week came in broadly in line with expectations at around 2.7% year on year. Uh, we had 2.6% in that. Uh, the uptick was mainly driven by some small um, idiosyncratic effects in Germany. Uh, but I think overall, the inflation print really doesn't change very much of the message, which is that inflation is coming down in the euro area and perhaps sooner than um, or, or sooner than the ECB's projections suggest. Uh, both us and markets have inflation at under 2.5% for around February and March. And of course, we think the ECB's projection should again be revised downwards in order to um, be um, in line with this this view and in line with the figures that we've had uh, of late. Um, I, I guess like the move lower from 2.7% to 2% is perhaps a bit more difficult than that kind of large decrease we saw driven by base effects through last year. And I think we were talking about the dispersion of uh, estimates around the European CPI print just for this week. So there's clearly um, a, a bit more of, of uh, a spread in terms of estimations for the inflation print moving down towards the 2% level. But I think if, if we are correct and that does happen, it really does open the door to these to be a cutting rates later on this year um, as, as well. Um, we do think and maintain our um, base case that the ECB does cut by 50 basis points in June. Um, obviously, the ECB is a consensus-seeking central bank, um, so there'll be lots of discussions around the and views around the table, really, about when the rate cut cycle should begin and, and when that does actually come into to play. Um, but I do think that with the more cautious approach that the, some of the hawks will take, uh, and I suppose the comfort in knowing that when rates cuts do come in, that you can just cut a bit quicker. Uh, it could be that actually, even though April is live, that the, the cut only does come in June. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of this week, not much change to our view overall. 
And of course, it wasn't just about, or this week wasn't just busy because of everything that was on the calendar. There were also events uh, that weren't on the calendar, like a couple of syndications, which came as a bit of a surprise at the beginning of the week. We had Germany um, and Italy announce syndications um, that we weren't expecting. And I think that's just fitting with the theme of 2024 so far that, you know, we've had huge front loading of supply, um, yet it seems to be relatively well digested. You know, we're now at the end of, well, we're at the 1st of February as we record this. <laughs> January has passed, but a lot of fears around just how heavy January supply could be and how much that might weigh on the market seem to have been dispelled a little bit. What's your takeaway on, on the supply front, I suppose, in terms of how well it's been absorbed, but also what you're thinking about for the next couple of months? So, I mean, it was very interesting that we got these two syndicated deals at the start of this week. Um, that wasn't really what we were expecting um, as well. So I do think there's this, really this idea of both on the issuance side, having lots of, lots of demand for the supply that's coming, but also on the issuer side, this idea that they really want to capitalize on how well um, supply has been going and how well digested it is. And on this really, um, I suppose, enthusiastic demand for all of this paper so i think we could see a couple more syndications in the weeks to come so spain and belgium are the ones that we are uh thinking about uh, as the next potential syndications to come but i do think it's been like you said very interesting how well the supply has been absorbed i think in a week like this week where of course we had quite a lot of supply we saw a bit more i suppose stress in this in, in today's french auction um where they did do a bit less off the long end given uh, potentially a lack of demand that but I do think that I suppose in weeks where, where supply is really heavy you get a bit more of the supply indigestion but overall it does seem to be that investors are keen to kind of front run this central bank cutting cycle and to take in paper before that so I, I would I would think that supply gets pretty well taken down in February as well uh, the one thing in February that I, I will say is that because we will, we will likely see a lower amount of supply in February than January, um, as well as a, a marginally higher redemption profile as well. The overall amount of net supply for February should be lower for, than January as well, which should help supply to get digested a, a bit more easily for February as well. Uh, but I think the key theme to watch rem remains to be supply and digestion, given that QT uh, is also on the cards. Yeah, lots to watch out for. Okay. Thank you both for joining me and taking time out because I appreciate it. It's been a chaotic week. Uh, thank you to our listeners for listening in. And just a reminder, if you liked today's episode, please don't forget to hit the like button and click subscribe so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks. See you next week.